Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. We are previewing the Week 8 division matchup between the Carolina Panthers, who are coming off of an awesome victory against Tampa Bay, a victory that has them kind of rethinking their 2022 season and the potential for it, and the Atlanta Falcons, who are not coming off of a victory that has them thinking about the potential for the season. Instead, they're coming off of a uh, loss that has everybody here questioning Um, you know, a lot of their abilities to do certain things when games evolve in certain ways. So joining me to uh, preview this matchup will be the host of Believe in Carolina Panthers, Desmond Johnson, uh, a little later on in the show. And I thought it was a great conversation. You know how these go kind of by now if you've been listening throughout the season. Um, But this one, much more conversational, just kind of went back and forth on, you know, the difference between Steve Wilkes and, and Matt Rule. Uh, how does this offense, how does the run game specifically look without Christian McCaffrey? What does PJ Walker bring this defense? Why are they so good on a per play basis, but their totals don't really reflect that. So we kind of dive in to all of that. And then he gives us his view, um, from a Panthers perspective on the Falcons. So yeah, two teams feels like they're coming off of two totally different weeks, but they're very similar in a lot of ways with the same types of aspirations for 2022. So it's going to be very interesting. This matchup is going to be very interesting. And I thought this conversation was really enlightening. So I hope you that you will stick around and enjoy that before we get into that conversation. I'm going to, you know, share a few notes that I took while watching the all 22 from the Bengals game. Last time I talked a lot about the offense against the 49ers. This time my focus was more on the defense and how they performed um, against Joe Burrow and the amazing day that the Bengals offense had against the Falcons defense. So I wanted to take a second look at that. And I actually came away with some surprising insights, something that I didn't really expect to feel coming out of that. So we'll get into all of that um, right after this. Basketball is back and bet online remains your number one source for hoops betting and all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all your sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether we're talking NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. It's that easy. Just make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. That's B-L-E-A-V to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so for this latest uh, edition of Film session lessons, I went and took a look back at the all 22 of the Bengals game. Now, the numbers overall, very, very bad. Uh, Cincinnati gained 537 yards of offense. They averaged 8.1 yards a play. 459 of those yards uh, came through the air. Joe Burrow was absolutely unstoppable. He had um, two receivers, Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd, 
go over 130 yards. Each of them also had a touchdown. Jamar Chase had two. You don't need me to keep going. You all saw it. It was a horrible, horrible day for Atlanta's defense, except maybe it was just a better day for Cincinnati's offense. Because when I went back and I watched it, I was actually impressed with kind of the way that Atlanta played and the results were not there. And this is a results oriented business. So at the end of the day, it was a bad day for Atlanta's defense. Like there is no denying that objectively. This was a bad day at the office, but I think that they were very, very effective with what they were trying to do. It's just that Joe Burrow and the Chiefs did the perfect thing at the perfect time in almost every situation. And you got to kind of commend them for that. But what I saw from the Falcons was the way that they disguised their rushes. They pretty much mostly rushed for, but kind of the way that I also expect them to attack Carolina and kind of the way they expect them to attack a lot of teams, especially with these issues in the secondary is they're going to rush for most of the time because they don't want to send extra guys. They don't really have the players to hold up in coverage without those extra men but you're going to disguise where those four are coming from. And I think the Dean Pease and the Falcons defense did a masterful job of doing that. I think at least four different times, five different times in this game, they ended up with a situation where they essentially had a two-on-one on on, uh, a left tackle, you know, a right guard. They were able to create these situations where they got linemen on an island with two defenders. And twice, D'Angelo Malone came scot-free off of the edge. Lorenzo Carter sack was a situation like this where they had a free runner. They had a free runner at the quarterback. Most of those times it didn't end in a sack because Joe Burrow got the ball away so quickly to his check down immediately that it was negated. His Tyler Boyd's amazing um, one-handed catch kind of on the deep crossing route. Uh, Troy Anderson was in coverage. I actually thought he was in pretty decent coverage given how he was dropping after the play action. It was the one-handed catch that was amazing. Grady Jarrett beats his man and drills Joe Burrow right in the strike zone a second before, or a second after, he lets go of that football. And again, Tyler Boyd makes an extended one-handed catch that I think surprised him. That was the kind of day it was for Cincinnati. You know, Jamar Chase's touchdown in the front corner, beautiful throw. In the second half, Atlanta's defense started to show signs of fatigue. I mean, they were out there all game long. Uh, The Bengals ran 66 plays. Atlanta ran 45. Time possession, 33 minutes to 26 minutes. So the Bengals were out there and and kind of given the number of explosive plays they had, I think Atlanta's defense was completely winded by the second half. I think you started to see some signs of frustration that led to some technical breakdowns in their play. You know, I think Darren Hall kind of losing the leverage to make the tackle trying to go for a breakup kind of on that left sideline that then turned into uh, Jamar Chase scoring a touchdown. Against a good team like Cincinnati, little tiny mistakes like that are going to be magnified because the talent is so good on the offense. And this was an offense that is very talented playing what I believe was some of the best football that I've ever seen an offense play in 60 minutes of football. They were doing everything that they could do and they didn't even need to run the football because they were doing everything through the air. But... I think the coverage was pretty good given, you know, that this was Darren Hall and Cornell Armstrong out there against one of the best groups of wide receivers in the NFL. I think that they were still able to generate pretty decent pressure on Joe Burrow. He was able to have to make these incredible throws under pressure for most of the game. And because he's Joe Burrow, he was able to do that. 
I just think that this is, again, a situation where you kind of flush it like the team will. I think that the momentum that the defense was building was legitimate. The way that they had played against Tampa Bay, kind of keeping Atlanta in that game. Now, you know, Tampa's not looking like it's amounting to much this year, so maybe we'll look at that game a little bit differently. But San Francisco, Cleveland, you know, you're kind of seeing this defense start to develop an identity where they can finish games and close out games for you. I'm not ready to discount all of that just because of one bad game where, again, if you go back and look at it and you watch it closely, they did a lot of good things there. It's just those aren't going to be reflected in the final box score because at the end of the day, in defense, all that matters is the results and the result was overwhelmingly in the Bengals' favor. So there you go. Those are my thoughts on the uh, the defense in particular. I thought it was actually a better performance than I expected when I initially looked at it. Um, so now let's get into my conversation with Desmond Johnson, the host of Believe in Carolina Panthers, to break down this week's matchup, which I think promises a uh, bounce back opportunity for the Falcons, or at least I hope it does. So here we go. Desmond Johnson, the host of Believe in Carolina Panthers, joins me now. You can follow him on Twitter at Des underscore 3505. That's D-E-Z underscore 3505. Desmond, man, how you doing? Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, well, doing great, man. We had uh, a Panthers victory Monday. It's only the second one we've had <laughs> <laughs> like all year. So this week has flown by and... Um, Dare I say it, Panther Nation has a little bit of optimism uh, going into the weekend, which we have not had in a while. <laughs> so yeah. it's a different feeling for sure. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, like the 2015 season, or no, 2014, excuse me, was was so bad for everybody in the division, but it kind of feels like maybe is a one of them. But I feel so much better about these teams than I did about those teams. Cause a lot of those teams were kind of like the ends of certain eras where there's yeah. like a newness to a lot of, of this group. But yeah, the Falcons and the Panthers kind of find themselves, I think with optimism for the first time in a while, uh, at least this far into the season. Yeah. I think the story of the NFC South, when we look back on it, uh, at the end of the year, the, the division is the way it is because of the, there's really kind of a, um, a downward spiral at the quarterback position, like for every, yes. every team in the division, uh, you know, Atlanta's got Marcus Mariota, but it feels like he's kind of a placeholder. I think I just saw that the, the saints are benching Jameis Winston, uh, for Andy Dalton going forward. Um, Oh really? Like the rest of the year? I, I think that's what I just saw. On they're, they're pulling an Indy. Yeah. Well, he's, well, James <laughs> is doing with those broken ribs or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. I was, he hadn't played, played that much anyway. Yeah. So that's going on. And then, uh, Tampa's got the issues with uh, everything around Tom Brady and Tom Brady's 45. And then, uh, and looking like he didn't want to come back after he right. did. It looks like he wished he could kind of go back and do that over again. And then my boys in Carolina, where we've cycled through a billion quarterbacks in like 12 months, it feels like to, to land on PJ Walker, who's been here the whole time. It's kind of wild that uh, our fortunes rest on a guy that was about three days from being cut. Uh, yeah. If not for Matt Corral's injury, he was the fourth string quarterback. He was going to get cut. And uh, he just, to attrition, just hung around as quarterbacks got hurt in front of him. And now he's the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. So go figure. <laughs> <laughs> but he, I mean, he he played well, right? This last game, like I was pretty impressed with what I saw um, from him against Tampa Bay. And, you know, he certainly fits the mold of that 
longtime backup quarterback who, you know, maybe a one time as a rookie, it was like, all right, this guy could have some upside if everything falls the right way. Like this could be somebody to get excited about. But then you realize over time, this is probably why they're consistently a second or a third stringer. But sometimes those guys get the opportunity and they do make the most of it. So talk to me a little bit about PJ Walker. Are we should we expect to see more of what we saw last week against Tampa Bay or more kind of what we saw the week before that? where he didn't look so hot, or is it probably somewhere in the middle? Um, it really depends on the Falcons, to be honest. Uh, it mm. depends on how the Falcons' defense plays, I, I think. Which part specifically? Is this um, more of the coverage befuddling him, or like the pass rush? Can you get to him with pressure? Uh, you can get to him. Well, actually, the Panthers' offensive line has actually played really great this year. Uh, they've been kind of, especially the last three or four weeks of the season, uh, rookie Iki Aquanu's come on. Bradley Bozeman, yeah. the center. Bozeman played so court. well last week. There was a stark difference uh, in our offensive line play with Bozeman in there. And Pat Eflon, who was starting at center, uh, has been ruled out for the season. He's been put on injury reserve. So it, Bozeman mm-hmm. is going to be the dude there going forward. I, I think it's more along the lines of uh, can the Panthers continue to run the way they did last week? You know, totaling over 170 yards on a Tampa Bay defense that many considered to be a, a pretty good run uh, yeah. defense. For them to do that with the combo of Chuba Hubbard and uh, Deonta Foreman, I think a lot of people were worried about where's the offense going to come from. But uh, honestly, I think McCaffrey going to San Francisco might end up being the best thing for the Panthers now that I've had a week and some change to sit on it. Uh, It's almost addition by subtraction in a strange way where now it's like you don't have that one guy that you know can be your crutch whenever something goes bad. You can just dump it off to him or hand it off to him. Now you got to figure it out without him. And uh, I think – about towards the end of the first quarter on Sunday against Tampa, I was still kind of my feelings about his trade McCaffrey. He's one of my favorite players. I'm like, what are we doing? He's our best guy. Are we tanking the season? And then I had the thought of, we haven't really had McCaffrey like the past two years. Like I'm literally watching the Panthers as if I've watched them the past yeah. two years without McCaffrey. So <laughs> I'm already kind of, <laughs> I already kind of know what it feels like to not have him there. Right. And once I got to that point, it was like, okay, let's see what they do. And uh, they opened up the playbook for Walker. Let him throw downfield a little bit, and dude was throwing some ropes. Uh, he really was. I was. I, I mean, I, we've seen him throw, but we hadn't seen him throw in a while in a, in a live action game. Uh, and he looked pretty good. So I like the game plan that offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo put together for PJ. If the Falcons are going to play defense the way Tampa did, I'd imagine a little bit of the same. It's it's kind of one of those offenses where it's like this is what we're going to do. We're not trying to hide anything, you know, can you stop it or not? That's kind of one of those, the run game is going to be the key for all of this where they can go into play action and everything else. So the Falcons can stop the run game, uh, then the Panthers might be in trouble. But if they come out running it hard in the beginning and getting some chunks of yards like they did last week, uh, it'll be a a good day for the Panthers, I think. Yeah, I really think the, uh, the inside zone game for Carolina last week was really, really solid. And it speaks to, you know, what Bradley Bozeman was able to do there at center. Um, and some of the lanes that that they were able to get. The Falcons have done a good job defending the run so far this year. Uh, you know, I, I think the injuries in the secondary certainly are going to hurt in this game. DJ Moore is kind of a matchup nightmare uh, in, in a lot of ways, and not necessarily in the ways that I think a lot of people would think. Like, he's not going to beat you on the most advanced routes, but he's so good after the catch that it's kind of like you don't even want him to have the ball in his hands one way or the other because when he does, that's when he gets really dangerous. And the Falcons have struggled at times with missed tackles, and they've kind of come in bunches. Given the way that DJ Moore played last week and kind of seemed to have a a big 
connection with PJ Walker. Do you expect him again to kind of be the focal point of Carolina's passing game or will they spread the ball around a little bit more? Uh, um, a little both. I think DJ clearly is the number one wide receiver uh, on the team and is paid as such. But I do think that they will try to spread it around a little bit, just like they did last week. It's uh, They've got some guys that they can get this ball to. Uh, they don't have to just focus on one wide receiver, which I do like. There's there's talent on this team. I think the thing that, that was the thing that bothered me the most last week was that on one hand, you had people saying, well, the Panthers are tanking. Uh, they're horrible. Uh, you know, there's no reason for them to try for the rest of the year. <laughs> and then the same people are like circling around our carcass trying to take players. And I'm like, how can we suck if we've got all these players <laughs> that people want to try to trade for? Whether it was Derek Brown or uh, J.C. Horn, D.J. Moore's name came up in trade talks. Brian Burns, they turned down two first round picks for Brian Burns. So it feels like they never were planning on tanking. They were just in a situation where uh, they had to do something. And they decided to do it earlier in the year, which I like. I, I like that they did it as early as they did in terms of firing Matt Rule instead of just trudging through another season mm-hmm. uh, with them and doing it at the end of the year. Because the season's salvageable. I mean, there's 10 games left in this season, and the Panthers are one game out of first place at yeah. two and five. You know, like it's they the, could come out of this week in in ownership of first place in the yeah. NFC South if, yeah, if the right games break the right way. Right, which is crazy because just four or five days ago. I'm fighting off like we're literally on the Believe in Panthers podcast cursing out Panther fans. <laughs> like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> That's a bold strategy. Yeah. <laughs> you like, guys have it so good on this podcast here. You don't even know. <laughs> I mean, it's nuts too, because then the numbers go up or whatever. So it's like <laughs> it's crazy. So it's we're like, you know, if you're a Panther fan, uh, and you're dissing them right now and you're talking about what are they doing? Why are they winning? They're messing up our chance to get the number one pick and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that talk. I'm not a fan of that. And it's like there's not even a generational talent in this draft to try to tank for. Like who is in college football right now where you're like that guy is the number one pick, no contest, it's him. Like there, this isn't one of those years where there's a Peyton Manning or a Cam Newton or whoever at the top and everyone's angling to get him. So I don't understand Panther fans going on about well, why did they win that game? They won the game because they wanted to win the game. Like, that's why they're out there. They want to win. They're not – players don't tank. Right. don't tank. Front offices try to tank, but they don't have complete control over it. So this whole idea that the Panthers should tank for this one high draft pick in the first round that may or may not even pan out is just ridiculous to me. Um, the Panthers have a shot to do something and turn the season around and, in my opinion, uh, and wishes – Get Steve Wilkes the 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 full time head coaching gig. He deserves it. Uh, these guys play hard for him. We posted on a Monday video from the locker room uh, after the Panthers won, where Wilkes was giving PJ Walker the game ball, and mm-hmm. uh, owner David Tepper came into the locker room and gave a game ball to Coach Wilkes, uh, and it was a real emotional moment. You could tell the team was kind of rallying behind Steve Wilkes. Yeah. And uh, I think that they're riding that momentum right now that they're playing for him. They're playing to they want to play for him going forward and they're playing to try to keep him. So I think that's the that's the difference. Panthers are going to be playing with emotion. I'm not sure if the Falcons are going to be able to match that or not based off of what the the Panthers figured out last week. Yeah, so keep going uh, about Steve Wilkes a little bit there. Like what are his tendencies? Is he going to be more aggressive? Is he going to be a little bit more conservative you know does he like to run the ball is he going to establish the pass like defensively like what what can we expect from a steve wilkes led team compared to what we've seen previously under mount rule 
Uh, the similarities between him and Ron Rivera are there. Of course, he he was Rivera's defensive coordinator. Right. Uh, did that well enough through 20, uh, 2017 that parlayed it into a head coaching job at Arizona. Granted, they, the Tidwells only gave him or the Bills only gave him a year. Uh, but he's a he's a head coach. He is a head coach. And uh, I asked that question to Jonathan Stewart, uh, I think last week before uh, we played the game. And Stu said basically, because Stu was on the team when Wilkes was there as defensive coordinator. And he was like, he would, he used to love it when, like, um, say, like Rivera had an appointment or something, couldn't be there for whatever reason. And uh, Wilkes would actually do the speech. He'd do the pregame speech or he'd do whatever, the, the, nice. the pump-up speech for the team. Yeah. And Stu was like, man, that dude will make you run through a wall. He was like, I used to bring a notepad with me. Like if I knew he was talking because I knew he was going to drop some kind of jewel in that speech and I wanted to write it down so I could look <laughs> at it later. Like I'm just like, wow. So he, yeah. he's he been rooting for him. I've been rooting for him. Skylar Callahan has been rooting for him. We're, he the, the difference between Steve Wilkes press conferences and Matt Rule's press conferences is amazing. Like Matt Rule felt like he kind of fumbled through every single one he had trying to find the right answers to, to please everyone. Steve Wilkes ain't about that game. Steve Wilkes comes in. He is disciplined. He is uh, straightforward and to the point. He's a football coach. Uh, he, he's a leader of men. Like, he makes people want to follow him. And we never caught that vibe with Rule. Rule felt like he was still running a college program, like here, and dealing with college age men, yeah. where Wilkes is talking as if he's in a room with adults. And, like, he gets it. He understands it. Uh, to answer the rest of your question, he's a defensive-minded coach, so – uh, he's going to run the ball. He's going to keep his defense off the field as much as possible. It's it's all about clock management, controlling the time of possession, uh, not putting your quarterback out there in a situation where uh, they may be forced to turn it over or just be in a bad spot. They're mm-hmm. going to put PJ in situations where they know he can handle whatever it is, and they're going to lean on that running back platoon. They're going to lean on that running back platoon and, and have Atlanta try to stop it before they do anything else. And then once they get a lead, he's going to send the dogs hunting on defense. Like that's kind of – it's it's Rivera ball, really. That's what we were doing when Rivera was here. And uh, honestly, anytime the Panthers have had success the past 26 plus years, no matter who the coach has been, that's yeah. been the Panthers' culture. Run the ball, stop the run, let your defense make the big plays, special teams kick in, quarterback, don't mess this up. And when we get that formula down pat, the Panthers have great years. And I'm curious to see if they can keep this going uh, this week. Because if they can do it two weeks in a row, that tells me, okay, they can do this all year. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they can do that against Atlanta. It definitely will. I'm, I want to get to the defense here in one sec, because I mean, they, to me are like the story of this team, but you mentioned kind of keeping them off of the field, letting them get plenty of rest to, to go after the quarterback, do all that they do. That obviously means that Carolina's offense is going to have to be good on third down. They're going to have to convert their chances in the red zone, you know, touchdowns, not field goals. They've not been great in those two areas so far this year. They're dead last in third down percentage on offense and they're 30th um, in the red zone. Any improvement in those two areas recently? What's the cause of of third down? Are these third and longs? Are they not getting third and shorts? Anything that you've noticed there? Um, Well, it almost feels like two different seasons because before last week, uh, when McCaffrey was still here, Robbie Anderson was still here. We were, you know, Baker Baker Mayfield was still the quarterback. Um, it kind of felt like McAdoo, the offensive coordinator, was trying to show off the, the the pieces he had, Baker in particular. And Baker, I hate to say it because I wanted him here, he just he didn't have enough time or maybe splitting the reps with Sam Darnold in the, the preseason. I don't know what it is, but 
he just never looked comfortable uh, in the offense that they threw out there. And then once he got hurt and PJ came in, it was almost like McAdoo had to simplify the playbook or make it smaller uh, for PJ and then adjust it out as we went. So we saw from Mm. that first week with PJ to last week where they were doing a whole lot more offensively and actually going downfield where with the Rams, they only went downfield like once the entire game. And that was a ball that sailed out of bounds like five yards or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of it was just side to side at the line of scrimmage, almost these, these snake, uh, screens that they were trying to run a lot of screens last week too they never tried they never tried to go downfield and we had a theory that well i had a theory i'm not gonna throw skylar and Stu into it but i had a theory (laughs) that they were doing that the week before because they were trying to increase the price for christian mccaffrey because the rumors were that they were already talking to the rams and the 49ers and i think it was another team before that game and they kind of hit a stalemate and then we come out in that game and all of a sudden christian mccaffrey's 80 percent of the offense where it was like they had forgot about him the whole part first part of the year Rams game, give it to McCaffrey, give it to McCaffrey. It, like they didn't even try to do anything else. So it was almost like they used that game as a way to increase uh, what, what they could get for McCaffrey. I think they didn't expect the whole Robbie Anderson thing to happen that same game. So that kind of uh, changed the timeline a little bit. But it felt like they were willing to give that game away for an opportunity to push reset on the season and not have McCaffrey here, not have Anderson here, uh, and just kind of go from there. And that that's kind of what's happened. So – there's like I said, there's ten games left uh, in the season. Like, it, there's a long, long way to go. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't write off any team yet at this point. I mean, there's just so much football left to be played. We haven't even got cold yet. You know, like it, we right. You know, what, this division. I see people saying that you know it reminds me of 2014, where everybody was under 500. The Panthers won that uh, yep. that year. People might forget Carolina entered December or the last week of November three eight and one. And went on a five-game win streak and uh, or a four-game win streak. Beat every team in the division and a couple others. Finished seven, eight, and one. Won the division, and then won the playoff game they had against Arizona. And they still to this day hold the record for the fewest yards allowed in a playoff game. Was in that game, and that season set up 2015, where they rattled off 14 straight wins, went 15, mm-hmm. one, all that stuff. So I feel like this season's kind of a setup for whoever wins the division. It might set them up going forward, but again, it's it's in such a flux. This division, there's such a turnover for uh, the quarterback position and the coaching uh, positions where it's like you don't really – I have no idea who's going to win this division. Like, you know, six weeks into it, I have zero idea. It could be any of the four, and it wouldn't surprise me, whoever won it. But uh, I feel good knowing that uh, the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast, we do two episodes a week, and we were starting to look at it like, how are we going to do two episodes a week of this? Like, <laughs> like what are we supposed to talk about? But yeah. each week, something can be hard. Something, something's happened. And we're like, oh, okay, we can talk about Robbie's right. outburst. or we can talk about McCaffrey getting traded or we can talk about a win, you know, like, so uh, it's been an interesting year already for sure. Yeah. That's it, a great point. I mean, about the NFC South and it does feel very much up to grabs. And part of me thinks that it could come down to just which individual unit is best in this division, you know, whether it be a whole defense, whether like the Falcons would be their run game, can can Tampa Bay's passing offense get it together? Can New Orleans defense get it together? Like whichever one can become dominant could really be something that swings it because these are not complete teams by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we know that Atlanta's run game is going to be their bread and butter on offense. But looking at Carolina's defense, which again, I, I think is the strength of this team, It's so interesting, the numbers, because 
they're really good on a per play basis. They're eighth in rushing yards per play. They're ninth in passing yards per play. They're 10th in yards per play. But then their per game numbers, 18th in total yards per game, 21st in rushing yards per game, 19th in passing yards per game. And you look at their time of possession, the Panthers are dead last in time of possession. So this defense is a good defense. Don't let the overall stats fool you. They're just out on the field way, way too much. It looks like last week they found kind of that magic formula and we saw a much more aggressive Panthers defense because they were able to have the energy throughout the game to sustain that aggression. Do you think that they've found maybe a working formula to move forward and we're going to start seeing those numbers kind of creep more closely in the middle and maybe be a top 10 unit overall by the end of the season? Like, what is your expectation for the Panthers defense in this game? knowing that Atlanta's been able to run the ball pretty well against pretty much everybody they've played so far. Um, I, I do think the defense is going to improve throughout the year because now uh, Steve Wilkes will have his hand on it more so than he did before because he was the secondary mm-hmm. coach when he came back at the beginning of the year. Right. Um, Phil Snow, who also has seen the door or showed the door when Matt Rule went out, he was a, Phil, he was a you know, Matt Rule guy. He's followed him everywhere and been his defensive coordinator. There had been rumblings that Phil Snow and uh, Steve Wilkes weren't on the same page based on defensive philosophy. And looking back mm-hmm. on it, uh, Wilkes was probably right. So the main script for the Panthers the past couple of years has been basically they're super competitive. They rarely get blown out against who anybody. Like they took Kansas City and Arrowhead a year or two ago all the way down to the final. They had to kick a 60-plus yard field goal to win the game. Uh, you know, just stuff like that. I think Kansas City had just come off the Super Bowl. Um, they, they play competitive no matter who they're playing against. And then usually what would happen under Matt rule and, and, and Phil snow in the fourth quarter, the opposing team's offense would just rattle off like a seven or eight minute long drive and would just stay out there. And we couldn't get off the field and they would take the lead. And then we ended up losing about two points, three points, four points. And that would be every single week. It was the same way they were losing every week. Uh, I, and like I said, to, with Matt Rule, we rarely got blown out with him as coach, but we rarely won, uh, too. <laughs> and we mm-hmm. led, I think, in all of these games that we lost in the fourth quarter. So the writing was there, and uh, Steve Wilkes was basically saying, so we had heard, that Phil Snow likes to use these smaller, faster linebackers. Yeah. Which he does, if you look at who you're, he has. Your Devin right Whites, your Deion Jones, yeah. like that type, yeah. And, and Wilkes is argument to that was that well, that's fine but by the time we get to the fourth quarter these guys are worn out and they can't stop anybody so we're stuck out there on the field and we end up losing games and apparently that might be the case because the first week that he was out they kept the rams fairly close until towards the end when things started to you know boil over and then last week you saw the formula really start to work the defense got stronger as the game went on they frustrated tampa bay more as the game went on and it's kind of snowballed out. And I think that's going to be the way they play going forward. They're going to, this team is going to live and die off their defense. Their stars that are left on this team, they're all rookie contracts. They're all on defense. Derek Brown, JC Horn, Jeremy Chen's coming back from injury soon. Uh, those are going to be the cornerstones of this team going forward. And I think it makes a lot of sense to keep a guy that's a defensive minded guy like Steve Wilkes as head coach going forward if he can provide these wins and convince David Tepper. Uh, David Tepper uh, because all those guys are over there and they've made a point to say we're keeping those guys and building with them. So I do think there was a huge difference in philosophy with Wilkes taking over uh, and Al Holcomb, the defense coordinator, has been with Wilkes for a while uh, as compared to the regime before. 
I don't think they'll get worn out as much in the fourth quarter and the offense can get out there and run time of possession like we want to do. Yeah. And I mean, what Brian Burns has done this season, I candidly, I've really, really wanted the Falcons to draft him (laughs) Uh, when he was coming out of Florida State. He was the he was one of my draft crushes that year. I was like, God, look at the flexibility on this dude. He's so freaking bendy. And yeah, he's so good. Um, Five sacks on the year was awesome against Tampa Bay. So he is concerning. Um, You know, you mentioned J.C. Horn. He's really come on very strong in his second year, kind of picking up where he left off last year before kind of injuries started factoring into the mix. So is there anybody on this team? And it doesn't have to just be defense, special teams, offense, who we have not talked about yet and may not be a player who many Falcons fans are aware of, but who could kind of swing a game like the Falcons. We saw Avery Williams have a key punt return last week against the Bengals just before halftime to tack on a field goal, essentially almost single-handedly. So is there somebody like that who could have a moment or two in this game who might surprise some Falcons fans? Um, remember the name Frankie Louvu. Uh, Frankie Louvu has, has begun to pop on screens. He's a linebacker. Uh, I think he previously played for the Jets. Uh, got on with us here. A lot of people call him a Matt Rule guy, but uh, he, <laughs> he's, uh, he's basically gone from being like bottom of the depth chart to being a starter at linebacker. And he flies, man. He's all over the place. If he's healthy and he's in there, he's going to be a name you see a bunch on Sunday. Um, I would pay attention to the running back duo. Uh, You know, most people think of Christian McCaffrey when they think of running back at Carolina. But the duo of Deonta Foreman and Chuba Hubbard uh, with Deonta Foreman last year, he was with the Titans. And Mm -hmm. Henry went out. Arthur Smith guy. Yeah, he when he went out, uh, literally Deontay Foreman kept the Titans rolling, you know, rushing wise, and they finished number one in their division again. And uh, of course, they flamed out a little bit early in the playoffs, but uh, he he's a hard runner. He's a bruiser. Um, yep. I actually told Stu, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Stu a little bit in terms of uh, me calling him Double Trouble 2.0 because they're kind of he's not D'Angelo Williams though. Chuba's not no. D'Angelo. Chuba's not D'Angelo, but he's kind of the scat back in that situation where yeah. Uh, and Stu is not as big as as Foreman is either. But they both would look for contact. They both can uh, turn a big run, and they worked in tandem. You know, like together, they were two different complementary styles of running. To me, that's the key. PJ can PJ's not going to really kill you with his arm. He's not going to go out and throw for 350 yards. Uh, he might throw for an efficient 200 and two touchdowns, no interceptions, and that can win the game if his running game is there. If the if the Panthers get over 100 yards rushing, I feel like they'll win the game. That, but to me, that's the key. Like if the Panthers can get over 100 yards rushing, then they have a good shot to win the football game. If they don't, and the Falcons can hold them under that, that means they're relying on PJ to get in some kind of gunslinging match with Marcus Mariota, and I don't know if PJ is capable of doing that. So. <laughs> Uh, you know that, that to me that's the key get these running backs lathered up get the offensive line lathered up let them run the ball early and often and that'll set up the play action pass and everything else that we saw last week but everything they did last week it's not like it was something that you can't do like it's it was basic football basically they just went back <laughs> to basic football <laughs> yeah and we've been asking for it for months it's like why don't they do this why are they running baker mayfield and rpo like stuff like that it's like <laughs> you know no one no one's yeah. gonna think baker mayfield's gonna take off on a run like an rpo and they did that the first two and, weeks and if he is it's not like that's the best option yeah. on that play go run yeah. Baker. we want you to run like that was baffling <laughs> to us and then it's like you bring in pj walker it's like well now you can run rpo because pj's got some wheels he could actually do it and they don't they got him under center they got him doing other stuff so <laughs> you know it is what it is ben mcadoo has made my tell him why you're mad thursday list like 
four times out of <laughs> like seven weeks or whatever already yeah. here. So he's not, he's never been my favorite um, play caller, but I, I can guarantee that PJ Walker is not going to get into any type of throwing competition with Marcus Mariota because Marcus Mariota is not allowed to be in any type of throwing competition. He's not allowed to throw the ball more than 15 times. I was going to say, didn't you guys only throw the ball like 13 times or something last week or yeah. something crazy? Yeah. Like that? So was that design or it, well, I, design is certainly <laughs> a word choice there. Um, I think it's, it is what the Falcons do best. And I think that, they everything they do stems from the run game. I think that they believe that the best version of themselves is it's all aligned. The point of the spear is the run game. The offensive line, the best thing they do run block. They had the the scheme. They focus a lot of their energy on that. The pass routes, I think, leave like the route combinations leave a little bit um, to be desired in in my opinion but they it's a lot of two-man concepts a lot of three-man concepts they're leaving a lot of guys in to protect because it's all mental mind games with the defense and that's what i'm really curious to see a defensive guy like steve wilkes how he comes out for this falcons offense because it fatigues the defense mentally as much as it does physically because every play there's motion it's motion that is going to change rules on like for what the defense is going to do, it's going to change the defensive front. And as they're shifting, they're going to motion back to something else. that's going to change it all again. It's nonstop. It comes after you play after play after play and it wears teams down. So it sounds like the Panthers kind of want to play a similar run oriented kind of, we're going to stick to our strengths. We're going to impose our will on, on the defense and try to control the pace of this game. We already know that that's what the Falcons want to do. And it's something that they do very well. It sounds to me like you see this as a quicker, lower scoring game. Is is that kind of where you're leaning with this one? Um, I kind of feel like I kind of well, I haven't done my predictions yet because we do that. We'll do that. Uh, I'll do that with Stu a little bit later on. But I kind of feel like this is a game the Panthers can win if they follow the same formula they did the week before. Like the formula they did the week before, you can do that to any team, you know. And the the results might be different, but. And Tampa came into that game reeling a little bit. Uh, but I feel like they could do this with any other team in the division. Uh, that simple formula. Run the ball, stop the run, uh, cause some turnovers, don't turn it over. Especially with this Atlanta team. I mean, you guys are averaging over 180 yards on the ground. Uh, or not 180, excuse me. You're at 156 right now per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, fourth in the league. So we know coming in what the assignment is. The assignment is we need to stop you guys from running the football. Because passing yard-wise, I'm trying to – Find, and I'm going to talk the Carolinas at the bottom of both of these pretty much right now. <laughs> uh, Atlanta's next to last in passing yards per game, right. 151 yards per game. So I think it's going to be a battle of uh, – it's going to be a one of those rock fight type games because it's going to be dominated by the run, I think, on both sides. And it will come down to which team can stop the run more effectively. Whichever team can do that and wins the turnover battle will probably win the football game. Um, and I know that sounds simple – uh, you know, Pop Warner type of logic, <laughs> but it is what it is. I mean, if we, if we can outrush the Falcons on Sunday and cause a turnover or two, I feel pretty good about our chances to win that football game. Uh, it's just a matter of who, which team is going to do it. And it's almost like just w- after one week, it's almost like the teams are kind of different directions, I guess, maybe you could say. But that could change after, you know, three hours on Sunday, just like it did. For yeah. So, uh, it's a wild division. We were used to it. NFC South. We get it like once every four years where it's just like a wacky year and uh, a team you don't expect ends up winning the division or 
injuries affect something or whatever it might be. I think it's one of those years in the NFC South. It's impossible to pick who's going to win games uh, from week to week because you don't know what team's going to show up. Like all four of them, <laughs> they're all for sure something with all of them. They all have issues. So the Falcons, for the most part, like this past game was bad. It was it was their worst game by far, but they've been a consistent team by and large uh, week in and week out. You are right. Both teams, I think the strategy is going to be run the ball um, that like that. That seems like the most obvious because uh, with the Falcons, it's more when they pick their spots to pass. It's how effective can they be when they do choose to put it up? And they've been one of the most efficient teams in the league when they do choose to pass. It's just not something they do very often. My key to this game and it kind of plays into, I think, the running um, as well, because part of this will, you know, factor into, all right, what are the third down distances? Like how how uh, many times are you able to stay ahead of the sticks in your series and things like that? But that is third down, fourth down, red zone, these situational aspects of the game that coaches harp on um, incessantly against Tampa Bay. You guys held their offense Two of 12 on third down, one of three on fourth down, over one in the red zone. I don't think that you guys are going to have as much success duplicating those numbers against the Falcons because they've been one of the best offenses in the league this season on third down and in the red zone, and especially lately. So to me, that's going to be the breaking point. It's two two teams that are going to be, you know, like fully grown Rams. Just they know that they're going to butt heads like they know I'm lining up. You're lining up. We're going to hit heads when we meet in the middle. It's now about the details. It's now about those little situational aspects to me. And so that is where I think Atlanta is going to have a slight edge just because they've been better and more consistent in that area. But the wrong day and and certainly it can go Carolina's way. Uh, I want to say for those on the outside looking in and have looked at I've seen the Panthers box scores and whatever putrid highlights we had going up until last week. Uh there is something different going on now that Wilkes is in charge. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he was here before. Because, see, Matt Rule didn't understand Panther culture. And I say that a lot. What is people, what is Panther culture? Panther culture. So Panther culture, <laughs> the whole keep pounding, the, the family vibe. Uh, you can go all the way back to Dom Capers, the very first coach. George Seifert. Uh, uh, John Fox. Ron Rivera. Mm-hmm where the, the the philosophy was pretty much the same with all of those guys. Like I've been saying in all episode, run the football, stop the run. It it doesn't matter what level of football you play. If you can do those two things, you're going to win more games than you lose. It's just it, it won't change no matter what they do with the rules or anything else. And Matt Rule never really subscribed to that. And Matt Rule kind of did away, and David Tepper to a certain extent, with certain traditions and things that Panther fans had come to enjoy. Like, you know, if they win the last minute or so before the clock runs out there at home they play sweet caroline mm-hmm. and uh not uh they took that away for a week and the panther fans went nuts like oh wow what are you doing and it was right back the next week um or the pounding of the drum at the beginning of the game mm-hmm. or uh you know having former players you know in and out and that kind of thing uh i forgot who it was that said it it might have been brian burns or somebody but they said at the beginning of the week that last week one of the things that got them juiced up was that steve wilkes actually brought in a tape of highlights of them versus their NFC South opponents, like over the years to get them hyped to play Tampa and it just little things like that. So you can understand yeah. okay, this is a rivalry. This is a divisional game. Like this is, we need these games. And for him to do that, it, it perked the players up. It got their ears kind of perked up like, Oh, okay. 
this is what it's about. And there's still players on this team that were here before Matt Rule that understand the last, you know, 2017's last year we had a you know winning season. Cam Newton was still the quarterback. Uh, you know, McCaffrey's rookie year. Like everything still felt like, okay, we're still in the middle of something. And we've gone downhill yeah. since then. And those players realized it. And you can start to see there's a sense of pride kind of coming back in the building that had been gone for about a year and a half. And I think that's the thing. It's an emotional game. And I think yeah. that's the thing where you can kind of ride the teams that are kind of going up and see the teams that are kind of going another way. And mm-hmm. although both these teams seem pretty even matched the way it looks, they kind of run the same stuff. I feel like Carolina's going in a different direction right now in terms of where they are mentally in the season and feeling like they've hit a reset button on the whole thing. And it's just it's seeing PJ succeed. It helped the defense feels better about it. So they play harder. Whereas before they would see Baker throw an interception or Sam throw an interception or somebody it fumbles. <laughs> They got to go right back out there again, you know, and it's like over and over and over. It's like, here we go again. We got to go out here and bail this defense out again. And now it's like, okay, now we've got something where we can go hunt and it's more fun for us because we know the offense is going to hold their own. That's something you can't buy. That's something you can't pin down. And we'll see if it transfers over to this week. But I feel like it's two trains going in two different directions right now. And if Carolina can harness what they did last week, then I think it'll show the rest of the league that, hey, they might be a factor going forward. Uh, depending on how this game goes, but I'm I'm going to go with Carolina. Yeah, I mean, th- this is going to be a week where, like you say, last week, two very different outcomes, two very different storylines, but it's just one week. And so we'll see for Atlanta, is this the start of a trend? And oh no, you know, as injuries mount, maybe they are heading in the opposite direction. Maybe they've been punching above their weight a little bit to start the season, what have you. Or maybe the Falcons are able to turn it around. We're going to be looking at that game as the outlier and things will get right back on track for Carolina. It's about stacking, right? Yeah. They've got that win last week. Everything feels like it. The momentum is there to be captured because you've got a new coach. You traded away McCaffrey. The Ewing theory is in effect. It feels like, you know, maybe a little bit of an addition by subtraction because everybody's locked in their focus. They're playing for each other. Now can you kind of recapture that magic keep it going against another division opponent. And we will see um, if they can do just that. But Desmond Johnson, this podcast has been magic. Thank you so much for hopping on. Please let everybody know what you've got going on and shout out anything you want to. The floor is yours. Oh my gosh. I have too much going on. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) The Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. Uh, Shout out to everybody at Believe uh, that's helped us grow uh, this podcast, especially over the past 12 months. Uh, we've been super pleased with watching the progression of it, uh, especially since we've added Jonathan Stewart on. It's uh, myself, Jonathan Stewart, all-time Panthers leading rusher, and Skylar Callahan, who is the Panthers beat writer for Sports Illustrated. Uh, we're on every Monday and Thursday afternoon, usually live. You can go to the Tobacco Road Sports Radio YouTube channel or our Facebook watch page and, and watch it there. Or you can stream it, uh, all major podcast platforms, Spotify, Google, iTunes, all the all the usual suspects. Um Trying to think here in the Carolinas, I have a Saturday morning show that you've been on a few times, actually, the rundown Mm -hmm. uh, with Desmond Johnson. It's on WWBG 1470 AM, 10 AM to 12 noon, and a bunch of other stuff. Like I'm not really hard to to find at this point. So uh, I appreciate you having me on, uh, Will. And I'm probably going to see if you'll return the favor, come over to the Believe one for the Panthers uh, for the second game between the Panthers and the, uh, the Falcons, either that or my radio show, one or the other, we'll uh, <laughs> figure it out. And uh, maybe we'll go grab Joey from the, the, the bears believe podcast too, and do another 
uh, round table like we've done in the past. So, um, I'm just, I just want a good game, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I want a good game. Of course I want to win, but yeah, I just want to be entertained. I'm so tired of sitting through these games and being bored. And it felt like that until last week where it was just like a chore. Like it felt like homework that I'd sit there and watch the game. So I knew what I was talking about on the podcast and now I actually look forward to the season. It's like the first time in a couple of years where I'm looking forward to what happens the rest of the year. So that's a dangerous feeling for a young team to have, <laughs> you know, and this team is young. They're super young. They're not used yep. to winning. So, yep. you know, I want to see if they can build off this and uh, help Steve Wilkes with his uh, campaign, become the the full-time head coach. Cause he's got some rooters in his corner. It's, it's exciting, man. Everything, it feels like the future's ahead of you. Falcons fans, like we're kind of in the same boat. This year is a little bit of a, a weird one-off year because a lot of one-year contracts who are veteran guys, but you guys Brady. did the right thing getting off of uh, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones when you did. I will say that. Apparently. You, yeah, yeah, apparently. Because they, <laughs> most time, a lot of times you'll see a team just hang on to a guy a year or two too late and you guys let them go uh, probably right on time. So, yeah. um, you know, the rebuild is on basically in Atlanta to to kind of get things good. I don't mean you can't win football games. Uh, <laughs> trust me. If I know, I know. Like, I don't. that doesn't mean anything. You can still try to win football games while you're rebuilding. So, yeah, you definitely we're, can. We're not taking the Falcons lightly at all. We, we can't afford to. We're two and five. <laughs> so no. Like, no, we don't want to take anybody lightly. We want to come in there and, and actually try to accomplish what we want to do. And uh, hopefully we get a game on Sunday. The rebuilding. That'll be the uh, the matchup. That's what yeah. we'll uh, we'll call it. But yeah, no. Hopefully, it's a great game. Um, we haven't had a good a good Falcons Panthers matchup in a, in a while, so we're overdue. Yeah, um, huh. I want to say it's been a while, actually. Even when we were good, uh, yeah. Twenty fifteen, of course, was our year. Twenty sixteen was you guys' year. God, twenty sixteen, yep. I think, was the year Julio caught like yeah, just absolutely goals. ended. Um, it was a James Bradbury or was it Captain Munnerlin? It was James Bradbury. It was James yeah. Bradbury. Yeah, he basically just ended his career. Put him to the bench and uh, yeah. with the Panthers, at least. Yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, I think Matt Ryan threw close to 500 yards. He might have threw over 500 yeah. yards. Julio had over 300. Matt had had over 500. Yeah, a lot of records were broken well, on that day. Yeah, that was a good one. Because we let Josh Norman go in the offseason after the Super Bowl. He went and signed with the Reds for Washington. And uh, he would have normally been on Julio Jones. And it was almost like they intentionally like, oh, he's not there. <laughs> so yeah. he throwed it to Julio Jones. Worst day of my life, it felt like. Uh, <laughs> and that was six years ago. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a divisional game. Uh, they'll get after it just because it's the Falcons. Um, I'm expecting a good one. I'm expecting a good one. Well, let's hope. Uh, hope you're right. Desmond, thank you so much for joining me, man. This was a blast. Sure, man. Anytime. Let me know. All right. Thank you to Desmond Johnson for joining me today. I especially liked the part that he kind of said there at the end where, you know, it just feels good to start winning some games and it just feels good to kind of be looking forward to a matchup again. And that kind of echoes the sentiment that I had last week in the lead up to the Bengals game that definitely did not go the Falcons way and that we would probably all like to forget or pretend never happened. But it does just feel good to be excited about a matchup again. And it's nice that the Panthers fans are able to feel that way because Falcons and Panthers were largely picked to just totally be dumpster fires this year, finish dead last in this division. It's going to be the Saints and the Bucks, And now it's shaping up to be anybody's race. And that is fun. That's the parody in football that we all enjoy. It's what the league wants and wants to promote. It's why I hated so much that call on Grady Jarrett against Tom Brady because you're protecting the haves. You're not rewarding the have-nots anyway. That's not why you're here. It's not this time for that rant, Will. Um, 
So yeah, I'm excited for this game. I think that the Falcons will win. I appreciated Desmond's optimism and who knows, you know, maybe the Falcon or maybe the Panthers are going to able to come out and kind of take some of the Falcons magic and copy a little bit of their formula. And maybe they are going to be a professional, competent, just well orchestrated machine that Atlanta has been for most of their games this season. I just trust Atlanta to do that more. I think he's getting a little bit excited about one game, honestly, but who knows? You know, he has his pulse on this team. That's why I wanted him on here. So it's cool to see him confident because I think Falcons fans should be confident in this as well. It's a nice tried and true I-85 rivalry. They're kicking it off again. Um, and this one means a whole heck of a lot for both teams. So that'll do it for us this week. As always, today's episode was presented by Bet Online. Please tune in again Sunday when Ovi and I will be back to recap what is hopefully a win, um, but we'll be here regardless. So I hope that you are too. Thank you so much. As always, we'll see you again Sunday night, but until then, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.